Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Tim, and I'm the pastor here at Smack One, and it's uh, indeed a privilege to be sharing the word from here, and I hope that God may speak to you uh, directly. Um, whether it's your first time here or not, we welcome you, but I hope that God may speak to us directly wherever we may find ourselves this week um, and whatever we may be facing. So let's just, uh, begin with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. And we thank you that you hear us because of all that your son has done for us and that you guide us by your spirit. Please allow us to humbly receive your life-giving word rightly and help us to be transformed by your grace, by, by your love today that we may serve you and love you more and more to the glory of your name. And we ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So I'd like to begin by telling all of you that I was hit by a dump truck last week. I wasn't looking where I was going. I crossed the street, and next thing you know it, bam! I was hit by a speeding truck, and the driver had anger issues or something, and thankfully I was relatively unheard, and the driver was shouting at me as the truck drove off. Now, some of you are laughing, and maybe underneath your mask, you're like, what's going on? Did the pastor lose his mind? Uh, what's the catch? What's wrong with him, right? Now, let me just clarify that the street was across my living room, the truck was made of plastic, and the driver was one of my kids. I'm not going to name who. They're both not here because they're not feeling well. Uh, but yeah. And you go like, Che, why you start the sermon like that? <laughs> Give us a heart attack only. Some of you are genuinely concerned. So sorry if I, if I put you in uh, anxiety. But there was a point. And the point I was trying to make is this. It is obvious that I wasn't actually hit in any serious manner by uh, a, a real truck. right? Because there's no way like this body, this, I mean... I'm, I'm relatively fit, lah, right? But there's still no way that this body can withstand two tons of speeding steel and metal and still be nothing happened, right? And the point I'm trying to make is that just so us sinful humans facing uh, awareness of our, aware, of our situation under sin come face to face with a God of grace who offers a way of salvation, when we encounter that, can we walk away unchanged? Could we ever do that? So last week, we began this new sermon series in Galatians. We looked at Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 10. For those of you who missed it last week, uh, Paul defined the gospel in his greeting. And, and he strongly warned the Galatians, don't get the gospel wrong. Right? He warned them against abandoning the gospel because if the gospel is the good news of salvation, then to get the gospel wrong would mean to jeopardize one's eternal salvation. Right? It is a very uh, severe mistake. It's an eternal mistake. So this week, we'll be continuing Paul's argument from that warning to his defense of that gospel outlined here in uh, verses 11 to 24, as you can read. So you can follow in the outline, you can follow on the screen, uh, but I would uh, advise you to, to have at least uh, the passage in front of you, and then you can follow it. So my sermon today will be as follows. It'll be in three parts. Uh, Paul's gospel received from Christ, not from man. That's verses 11 to 12. Uh, the second one is uh, the second section is Paul's transformation by the gospel, uh, as outlined by his narrative from verse thirteen to sixteen, the first part of verse sixteen. And last but not least, the point Paul's driving home the, that his 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 preaching is independent, right, uh, of the of the apostles, and it glorifies God. And that's the third section. And the main point I want for us to 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 remember today is that God's good news, God's gospel in Christ, calls and transforms sinners for His glory. Okay? So with that out of the way, let's begin and look at verse 11. So what does Paul want to say? 
right here. He says, For I would have you known, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. So right out of the gate, he starts out strong. Uh, last week, if anyone preaches a different gospel, he's accursed. This week, he says, I want you to know this gospel that I preach is not from man. It's directly from God. And this is his purpose statement for the rest of the passage, maybe all the way to chapter 2, verse 21. That, that whole narrative of using his life story is to say this one thing. My gospel is not from man, it's from God. Okay? And there are implications that we will look into later as well. But that is received directly from Christ. Now, why does Paul assume so uh, in such a strong way? Now, here's a few things we can as assume okay, based on this. So, perhaps his opponents, uh, the ones that we saw in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, that were seeking to distort the gospel, was trying to discredit Paul in maybe some specific ways. For example, do you know this Paul that, that, that preached the gospel to you? He wasn't really an apostle. He wasn't even one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, right? He's a, he's a latecomer to the party. Um, Paul, uh, he came late. He received his uh, gospel from the, the original 12 uh, and then he came and then he delivered to you uh, Gospel version 1.0. Now we come from Jerusalem later than Paul and we have an updated Gospel 2.0. Listen to us, don't listen to Paul. Right? And, but Paul's strong statement here, uh, and, and as we will see, rebuts this accusation. He, he refuses it, rejects it, and shows how ridiculous it is. Because in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, he says, He is an apostle not by man, but by God. And likewise, his gospel is not man's message, but it's from God. So the big, the, the, remember, the take-home is that God's, God's gospel, God's gospel in Christ calls and transforms sinners for his glory. And we come to our first principle, which is that the gospel is God's good news to sinful humanity. Now, the fact that the gospel is God's uh, good news is important in Paul's day, and it's just as important for us today, isn't it? That, that the gospel was directly for God. It's vital for us to know that. Because, like I said, the gospel means good news. And what's the good news? I would argue that the good news is God himself. God is the good news. God is a God who is merciful. The Bible tells us he's merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That he is good. And that God, out of his goodness, created everything. And as such, he, he holds ultimate power and authority because he made everything. Everything belongs to him. And that, that he, he made everything, everything comes from him. He is the source of goodness. He is the source of life. And what did humanity do to our creator? We, we turned our backs from him. We separated ourselves from him. We wanted nothing to do with him. And that's what the Bible calls sin. Because if you think about it, going away from God, from the source of goodness, you only end up going more into evil. If you're going away from God, the source of life, and no wonder we, are, we find ourselves in a place where we're, we're in a world full of decay and death. And it's not just us, isn't it? It's not just humanity. But we see an entire world affected by sin. That sin is like some form of radioactive cancer that seeped into all of creation. And the truth of the matter is that God will not allow things to remain this way. He will not his, allow his creation to remain corrupted and defiled by sin. That one day, he will destroy everything. He will renew everything. That he will cleanse his creation from sin and make everything new. And that's why he refers to this present age. We, we saw in uh, last week that Jesus came to deliver us from this present age. That as we look at the world around us, everything in it, everything that belongs to this world will be destroyed. 
but that includes everyone that belongs to this world. And at a point of time, when we begin, that's all of us, isn't it? We all were there. But God had a plan that he sent Jesus, God the Son to earth, that Jesus being fully God, uh, united himself to humanity, humanity, becoming fully man, so that he could take on the full consequences of our sin, our shame, the guilt, and our death that we were waiting for, right? And he completely bore it on the cross. The perfect, sinless Son of God died uh, 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 the, ruthless, the, the worst death possible on the cross, that by our faith in him, for those who believe in him, that our sin, the, the, the corruption that our sin so needs to be put to death, was united with his death on the cross and fully paid for, fully settled, nothing left. And therefore, the believer, in our faith in him, we, we, we are united when he, was rose, when, he, when he was resurrected, when he rose again from the grave, we too are united with his resurrection. So believers, when we are united by our faith in Christ, we have this glorious hope that this world is not the end that we will raise again, that those who have passed on, though we may grieve for today, but we will see them again. There will be a resurrection where everything will be new, that we will be with Christ, ruling and reigning forever in a creation without sin. And we'll be with God as we were meant to be in that loving fellowship forever. And that's the gospel. It's a gospel that tells us that God, that there's a possibility for us to have an eternity with God as we were meant to, as we were made for. Without, and without God, we are without hope. For those of us here who know this gospel message, this is not new, where perhaps do we need to be reminded of how awesome God is? Maybe after time we take it for granted, huh? and we need to be reminded again, we don't deserve this. But if you're here today with us, and, and this is the first time you're hearing this, we're just so excited uh, that you're here with us, uh, listening to, to this with us. And I earnestly hope and pray that um, you will let us know um, this is your first time hearing this and that you're intrigued that what, what's this guy talking about? Let us know by connect card, uh, slash connect. And uh, if you love for someone to explain more about what I'm talking about here. But above all, we really hope that you can know the one true God as revealed in the gospel and be transformed by him. As we see, Paul was transformed by him in our next section. So moving on to verse 13, to the first part of verse 16, uh, we see how Paul states that the gospel is not from man, but from God, using his life story. So how does he begin? In verse 13 and 14, Paul outlines how his life uh, was before the gospel, how it's turned around. So what can we tell about Paul? What can we learn about Paul from verses 13 to 14? So we see, Paul was some kind of like a genius or a wonder kid. So for me, I like to imagine, you know, um, it's like a university class of postgraduate students, right? Struggling to understand what the, what the professor is teaching. And you have a 14-year-old Paul sitting in the front row just taking down notes and understanding everything. That's my imagination, right? But not, not just like, you know, uh, a capability to understand Judaism and, and the law, but that he describes himself as being very zealous, very passionate, Right? for Judaism, for the traditions of his fathers. From Paul's perspective, these traditions were preserved for thousands of years across generations. They need to be kept pure lest we, we fall away. Right, They need to be preserved. 
And from Paul's point of view, all of a sudden comes this, this wild preacher from who knows where, this Galilee, this, this Jesus fellow who's creating a, a riot, crowds like to gather around him, and suddenly they're proclaiming that he is the Messiah. And Paul looks at it and he says, how dare these commoners say that this teacher from nowhere is the Messiah, the promised king of Israel? Because this Jesus died on the tree. He was crucified. He was cursed. The law says that whoever dies on the tree is cursed. How can the blessed king of Israel to come be cursed? It's impossible. This is a heresy. They are wrong. They need to be killed. Now, perhaps, you know, wow, so extreme, my Paul. <laughs> Calm down. Take a chill pill, right? And maybe for it, you know, today's context is a bit like far removed. Like, but what are some examples today? And it's easy to find examples, isn't it? Um, so imagine, if you will, um, atheists who hate Christianity, who say that it is nothing but a fairy tale. Religion is the opiate of the people, that, that it's, it's a scourge of humanity, that religion is the cause of wars and fights among people, of divisions. Religion needs to be stamped out. Or what about Islamic dawahs who, who relentlessly attack Christianity online? Jesus never claimed to be God. These Christians, they are heretics who worship three gods. They don't have the truth. And if you can picture such a person in mind, that would be our modern-day equivalent of Paul. But we notice something interesting in what Paul says next in the following verses in verse 15. You see, even at the point of his deepest hatred for Christianity, for, for the gospel, we see that Paul, when he's writing now with hindsight, right, he acknowledged that God has set him apart before he was born. As we've read in Jeremiah 1, that God knew him before he was born, set him apart, before he existed, that God set his eyes on Paul and had a purpose for him at the right time to call him. And I want to, I want to encourage all of us here that he still does the same for all of us too, that he knows each and every one of us intimately before we were born. He's the one who made us. He's the one who formed us. And, and for those of us who believe, he has set us apart to be his children in Christ, that he has a purpose for us that goes beyond just living for ourselves, just, but, but instead living for him, for his eternal purposes. And just like Paul could not have fathomed, understood how powerfully God would use him to speak to us even today, 2,000 years later, right? Paul could not have imagined that. Similarly, none of us could possibly know how far-reaching our seemingly insignificant service for him may be. But just that he does, he can, and he will use it for his eternal purposes. Now, if, if God had a plan for someone as far away from the gospel as Paul, you best believe that he has a plan for you and for me as well. So I want to ask, where might God be calling you to avail yourself to serve him? Um, but maybe perhaps you don't find yourself there. Maybe there's a lack of motivation that you want to, uh, you know, even lack of a motivation to want to serve. Let me just live my life. And perhaps, like Paul, you need to be transformed by his grace, as we see in uh, verse 15 to 16. So as we read in verse 15, he said, apart from, he who set me apart uh, from before I was born, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. So going back to Paul's story, imagine, uh, we know from Acts, he was on the way to Damascus, intent on imprisoning and killing um, the church. But at that moment, God was pleased to reveal the son, Jesus, to him. That when, Jesus, when God revealed Jesus to Paul at that moment on that road, everything changed for Paul. That 
uh, we read from Acts chapter 9, verses 4 to 5, right? That, that uh, a blinding light came down. And suddenly, the Jesus whose church Paul was persecuting asked Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul was persecuting the Christians. But Jesus took it personally. Why are you persecuting me, Paul? And I believe for Paul in that moment, he realized how wrong he was. It was like getting hit by a truck. That nothing was same was to be the same for Paul anymore because he has come face to face with the living, risen Jesus. That Jesus is the Messiah. That he is the Christ. That the traditions that he was so zealous for was not something that was meant to be frozen in place, kept and preserved, but it was meant to be pointing Paul towards believing in Christ. He had gotten it so wrong. That all the, the Old Testament that he knew so well was meant to point him to Christ. So all Paul's categories were changed. Everything he knew about it now had a new significance. Everything he knew about Scripture had a new significance, and that is that the Messiah has come. That the Messiah has fulfilled God's promises to Israel, and not just to Israel, but to the entirety of humanity, to all the nations of the earth, isn't it? And so Paul was instructed to preach this message of hope, this gospel among the Gentiles, and that's what he did in Galatia. Remember that God, the, 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 the gospel, that God's gospel in Christ calls and transforms sinners for His glory. So we come to our second principle, which is God graciously calls sinners to repentance. What perhaps are you holding on to, right? That does not hold up in light of the gospel. Like, are you like Paul, holding on to his traditions, to what he thinks is right? Maybe we're holding on to something precious as well. Perhaps career, perhaps family. And holding on to it in a way that obstructs God's purposes for you in the gospel. Now, please don't hear me trying to guilt trip you, alright? Uh, if that really is you. Because as I'm saying this, it describes me as well. Because none of us really deserve to be saved. Alright? Uh, we're saved by grace. and Grace means undeserved favour. We don't deserve it. We're saved by grace through faith an action of trust. So, if we have strayed away, and not if, when we stray away, it is likely because we have allowed ourselves to forget about the wonders of God's grace, about how beautiful and how undeserved we were and how beautiful He is, that we've forgotten that somehow and forgotten what it means to live by faith, by trusting in God moment by moment. We've gotten used to doing it ourselves and solving our problems ourselves. So it's not just to uh, people who aren't believers yet or even just new believers, but even seasoned, long-time believers like us. We need, to, we need His grace. We need that reminder day by day, moment by moment. And we need to rejoice that God graciously calls undeserving sinners to repentance. And repentance is about a change of direction, isn't it? That um, to, to no longer go the way that we were originally heading, Right? Uh, which for all of us was going away from God, living for our priorities, uh, living for our wants, our desires, our needs, selfishness. That is sin. And to turn towards God instead to pursue Him, to seek Him and desire to live for Him. Now, sometimes we slide back a bit. But what's important is that we stop going this way and turn around. No matter where you are, turn back to God. Where perhaps do we need to be appreciating His grace? And as I was reflecting on this, um, I don't know if this is your experience, but I, I wrote this down uh, to describe it, the, the, the 
jumble of feelings I was feeling because uh, like, who am I, God, that you would love me, that you would bless me, that you would save me? Because I'm nothing. I'm, I'm an insignificant pile of dust that will be here today, be blown away tomorrow, but you sent your son to die on the cross for me. That you show me your love again and again, that no matter how much I fall, uh, your grace is there to bring me back. That I hate that I run away, I hate that I fail you, but that despite that, in the midst of my darkest night, in the midst of my deepest failure, I find you there, that your grace has never left me, and that you always bring me back to you. I can't comprehend why you would love me so. I only know that you say that you do. So please help me to live for you, to give you the honor and praise that you deserve, and keep me by your grace, that somehow I may glorify you. That may be your response, that may not be. But as we see, Paul does that as well, that, that, that Paul's grace leads him to glorify God. And as I invite all of you to be thinking that way, as we, we see how that happens um, in our last section for the day, in verse six, the rest of verse 16 to uh, verse 24. That Paul's preaching glorifies God independently of the apostles. So now that Paul had his ground shaken, like his, his paradigm shifted by the gospel on his way to Damascus, what happened next? So we know in the parallel account in Acts chapter 9 that he immediately started proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues in Damascus, proving to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And, and we read in Acts that the Jews did not receive this well. Okay, they did not take it nicely uh, that they were being told that they were wrong. And they wanted to kill Paul. And Paul had to escape by being lowered in the basket. And you can read this in Acts chapter 9, verse 25, okay? But looking at a passage here in Galatians, Paul suddenly says that he leaves Damascus, goes to Arabia, and comes back to Damascus. Now, this is not mentioned in Acts. We don't know what's happening here. So, here's the thing. We're not sure if Paul's basket lowering was uh, before, before Arabia or after Arabia. We don't know. This is the part where we reach the limits of our knowledge. Um, but then he writes in Galatians that immediately after that, uh, he, I mean, not three years later after that, he goes to Jerusalem. Okay, whatever the case, Paul goes to Jerusalem and it's three years later. Now, what's the significance of these three years? So I want us to remember that it is three years of Paul taking that one fact that he learned on his road to Damascus, that Jesus is the risen Christ. And for three years, Paul applied that one fact to his vast knowledge of scriptures and began proclaiming Christ to Jew and Gentile alike. That Paul did this for three years, and he did it for three years even before he went to Jerusalem. That was his point. So Paul eventually does go to Jerusalem, as we will read, but for only 15 days in verse 18. And even when he went there, he only saw two of the prominent leaders in the church, which is Peter and James, the Lord's brother. And this was so unbelievable that Paul had to re-emphasize this. Really one, really, really, okay? 15 days, just Peter and James, that's it. Really, I don't lie. Before God, I don't lie. Like, I swear I don't lie. Like, that's verse 20. Like, he has to really uh, uh, emphasize it that way. And then after that short 15-day stay, he had to go away to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Now, the main point is this, that Paul's gospel really was independent of Jerusalem, despite whatever his opponents might be trying to accuse. Now, from the map that I'll be showing up here, so we see Cilicia and Syria. That's not mentioned in, um, in Acts, right? Uh, but if you pull up the... Is there a map there? Oh, there's no map. Oh, too bad. But yeah. <laughs> but if you read in Acts... Oh, yeah, there it is. The map. There is a map. I know I put it in there. You see? I know. 
Okay? Really want. Okay. So yeah, Paul, Paul goes from Jerusalem in the red in the corner. He goes up, if you follow the pink, uh, pink name, is Syria and Cilicia, right? You can know all the rest. Now, Cilicia is not mentioned in Acts. But uh, in Acts 9, it does record that Paul left Jerusalem. He went to Caesarea and Tarsus. Um, now, you don't have Caesarea here. It's near Sidon and Tyre. But there is a place under Cilicia called Tarsus. Right? That Tarsus is the capital city. Caesarea is the name of the region. Both are correct. So, having putting that together, we can firmly place this Jerusalem visit with the passage in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 to 32. So, for those of you who love to like match where the story is going, you can follow it there. Acts chapter 9, verses 26 to 32. Okay? And other things correlate as well, collaborate as well, because, uh, for example, at this time of this Jerusalem visit, Paul was still unknown. He mentioned that he was unannounced to the churches, churches at Judea, right? Um, and in Acts, what do we see? The churches in Judea were scared of Paul. They legit thought that he was trying to pull a fast one on them. And Barnabas has to come in and say, no, 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 no. He's legit. He, he, he did change his mind. He is converted. He is a brother now. And, and that's what we see here, that the, the churches in Judea did not know Paul. So he came to Jerusalem or the larger region of Judea. And he didn't go on a, like a preaching tour, a preaching circuit. right? He didn't. He just went straight away, uh, left the region. But even though he was just there for 15 days, the churches there did hear of Paul's conversion. They heard the news. Wow, this person who was once persecuting us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Now, it would be as if the, the, the atheist or the Dawah I mentioned just now became a Christian. The man whose life purpose was to attack and destroy and discredit Christianity suddenly turns around, becomes a Christian. What would be our response? I wonder. I hope it would be to glorify God who makes such transformation possible. And indeed, he has, hasn't he? Right? Atheists and, 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 and Muslim uh, authorities have been coming and turning to Christ. And that is the God that we worship. That God's gospel in Christ calls and transforms sinners for his glory. And we come now to our last uh, principle, which is God is glorified by gospel transformation. Now, it's always amazing when we have baptisms and we hear the baptism testimony, we hear of a life that was so far away from God as possibly can be. But yet, like Paul, they were graciously brought back to him. That no one is too far gone to be saved. You may be thinking, if you only know what I did, if you only knew my history, like, I should know better, I'm a Christian, but I still do these things, this is my past, this is my failures. You're right, because I don't know. I have no idea who you are or your past or your history inside your head. I don't know. But God does. And, and that there's no one too undeserving for His grace. In fact, the more undeserving the sinner, the richer His grace is displayed. That God is not flummoxed like, oh, what to do now, right? By our deepest failures, but rather, our deepest failures only serve to show Him, like flex His power all the more. To God alone be the glory. Can I get an amen? Amen. Our God, is that's the kind of God that we have. That's the God of the gospel. And for even for, but, but what about us? Those of us who don't have a dramatic conversion like, like Paul. Like, I mean, I didn't do drugs. I didn't have any like, you know. <laughs> to those of us, like, like, then that's me, right? I would say that there remains room for gospel transformation as well. For, for those of us who are raised by Christian parents, 
who were taught at a young age uh, in Sunday school or whatever to pray and, and have faith um, uh, have no history of like major turning away, right? Maybe some naughty instances here and there, but you know, no major um, dramatic instance of transformation like Paul, no 180-degree moments. Does it mean that people like us can't glorify God? No, absolutely not. Because we are all alike sinners and all need His grace in the same measure. So there's always room for gospel transformation. There's always room for God's grace and there's always room to glorify God even with our lives. So Paul's transformation was dramatic because it was instant. Like that one instant on the road to Damascus. But maybe that's not you. Maybe that same transformation may take one year, may take five years, ten years. Uh, like me, maybe if I I know I have a thick skull, so maybe it took longer than that, right? But one thing for sure is that the gospel transforms. That transformation does happen. Because there is no way, there is no way anyone that's truly aware of their sinfulness and and truly uh, comes face to face with the gospel and sees the salvation they're offered, the gospel of grace, could ever walk away untransformed and unaffected not unless their awareness of their sin or of the gospel was not actual, just as a toy truck is not actually a truck. God's good news in Christ calls and transforms sinners for His glory. And I pray that no matter if you're hearing this for the first time or you're hearing this for the umpteenth time, that, that the beauty of God's grace in the gospel would drive you to seek to live for His glory. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are perfect, you are holy and exalted in your majesty, that there is no one like you, O God, that we cannot comprehend why you would love us so immensely. We certainly don't deserve it, but we do thank you for your grace revealed in your gospel. Help us, O Lord, not to take it for granted, Please keep us, remind us always of your grace so that we can live for you to the glory of your great name. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.